Hello, and welcome to When It Goes Wrong, the podcast exploring disasters, accidents, and times when everything falls apart. I'm Jasmine, your host, and on this episode, we'll be discussing the Deepwater Horizon explosion. On the 20th of April 2010, the offshore oil rig Deepwater Horizon hit a series of issues which resulted in the rig exploding, killing 11 on board. It also resulted in the largest oil leak and spill in history, which would take almost five months to contain and resulted in huge numbers of wildlife dying. Looking forward to this one. It's going to be hard because oil drilling is complicated, but I'm, I'm up for the challenge. This was a topic that's been requested, so please do keep your requests coming in and do get to them eventually. It was requested by Kyle on email and Mia on Instagram. So thank you both for <laughs> for uh, requesting that. I am accompanied by my fluffy animal friend, uh, Juniper, who, stop it, is scratching <laughs> scratching post very aggressively whilst recording. I might have to kick that one out. But yes, we will get into it before we do. Please do follow me on Instagram. I'm at when it goes wrong pod over there. Um, and please do uh, subscribe and, and do a rating wherever you happen to be listening to this. Yeah, like I said, <laughs> I found this one really hard to understand. I think because when you read a lot of the Deepwater Horizon stuff, most things is like, yeah, it exploded. And then this is what happened next. But you know me, I like to I like to understand why. Why did it explode? What happened? So I have learned a lot uh, and hopefully I can explain it in a way that makes sense. But yeah, we'll see. Uh, so yeah, so drilling for oil obviously has been something that we've had for a very long time uh, and oil and, you know, fossil fuels being one of our, our key sources of energy. And basically what happened is that we started drilling for, for oil on land. So we used to have all these, you know, big oil wells on land, but soon we used up a lot of it and there wasn't huge m- much of it left. And so then they they kind of started reaching out to the sea. They did they did a bit of like the like the near shore, you know, so just kind of coming off the off the the coast and and drilling there. But soon they realized that there was like huge reserves of oil deep deep down under the ocean. And obviously getting to that oil is going to be very difficult compared to wherever they got anything else. But uh, where there's oil, there's money. Uh, and where, where there's money, people will figure out a way. Uh, so they led to inventing offshore drilling rigs. And these drilling rigs are like some of like the most complex and yeah advanced machinery in the entire world. And they are just like this giant hive of like drilling equipment and cementing equipment and all these like piping machines. And yeah, they're so complicated um, and just so technologically advanced that they blow the mind a bit. And one of these rigs uh, was called, the the name of the rig itself was called Deepwater Horizon, uh, mainly because it drilled in deep water, um, which was good. Uh, And it was built in South Korea in 2001. And at the time it was built, it cost half a billion dollars to build. Um, So you can't imagine how much that is probably worth now with the joys of inflation. And it was capable of being one of the most deep water rigs in the world. So what it could do is it could work in water over 1,500 metres deep, so one and a half kilometres of water it could work in, and then it was capable of drilling a well up to 10 kilometres below that. So really, really far, <laughs> really, really far, uh, and very kind of out out in, in the middle of the ocean. 
And it was what was known as a semi-submersible. So often you see like drilling ships, which are ships that can go out and have a drill in them and then then it goes down. But if you're drilling from a ship, as you can kind of imagine, as the ship moves around, potentially the drill moves around um, and it's not, you know, it it might not be the most stable. You have to do a lot of work to kind of keep it in that one place. Uh, And especially when you're trying to go this deep, that's just not really going to work. And so this was called a semi-submersible because you could move it. But once it was like in place, it basically, uh, like expanded and and put down like big inflatables under the water, so it, it remained a lot more stable and in a lot in a, in a lot more of one location. What I found interesting in this was, <laughs> was that I kind of knew that like oil rig ships existed, but then now it suddenly makes so much more sense because I, <laughs> unsurprisingly, quite like. Uh, you know, like the shipping radar. Like if you're like, if I'm by the coast on holiday, often I'll get up my shipping radar and be like, oh, I wonder what that ship's doing. I wonder that, what that ship's doing. Because I always found it weird that there's just all these ships just like sitting around. Uh, but now it makes sense because a lot of them are oil ships. So maybe they were sitting around drilling, not just, you know, hanging about waiting for a, waiting for a port. Side note. And so, yeah, so basically the Deepwater Horizon was owned by Transocean, uh, which was a very, is like a ginormous, one of those companies that are huge and, and billions of dollars, but you've never heard of, uh, which is basically the the company that owns all of these like drills and rigs across the world. And the, uh, but then it was leased by BP, uh, which stands for British Petroleum, which I never realized until I did this. Is that common knowledge? I just, I've always known it's BP and I've never thought about where it is. And I, I just didn't know it was British. I mean, obviously now it's not that British, it's very global, but yeah, they've done a good job at rebranding because I never, I never knew that. And so, yeah, so BP uh, leased the, the rig and, and ran it. Uh, and basically BP would use the rig to dig wells in the Gulf of Mexico And they would dig what's known as exploratory wells, which is where they kind of dig just to try and find where oil is. And then production wells, and the production wells being the wells where they then suck up all the oil back to the the surface and and barrel it up and, uh, you know, sell it and we put it in our cars. So that's kind of the background to the rig. When it comes to the rig and drilling, it's one of these things that's like really simple, but really complicated all at the same time. So... What they do is they first try and figure out where the hell they want to do the drilling. So they have sonar where they basically like wander about and, and use sonar. And they have lots of very smart geologists who look and go, oh, OK, yeah, it looks like there might be some oil here. Or it looks like there might be a big reserve here. So let's drill in this spot. Uh, so, yeah, so they figure out how to do that by sonar. And then once they decide on a place, they're like, right, we've got it. They pass what's called a marine riser pipe down to the ocean floor. Because obviously, this isn't like when you're on land where you can be like, cool, drill. This is under the sea. So they have to pass a pipe down from the rig just to the ocean floor. And keep in mind, we're talking one and a half kilometers underneath the sea. So this is like further than any human could go, right? And I don't know. And I have no idea how deep submarines go, so... Could be a submarine down there, don't know. Um, <laughs> so they pass this pipe down that connects the rig to the ocean floor. And at that point, they can start drilling. And so what they do is when they want to start drilling down into, into the ocean, they insert what's called a blowout protector on the bottom of the sea. So on the bottom of the sea, 
with the pipe going all the way up to the rig, they put out this big protector so that it protects, uh, it stops what's called a blowout. It stops the the oil that they will eventually tap rising back up and, and blowing out or exploding. And and that's there because of pressure differences. There's a lot of talk about pressure in this. So just always remember everything wants to go from high pressure to low pressure, right? Because you want to you expand into the into the into the areas that you you can. So that's what this helps with, uh, this big blowout protector, and they're ginormous. And so yeah, so once they've got this big pipe down from the rig to the floor, they've got a blowout protector on. They're ready to start drilling. So they pass a drill bit down through this big pipe until the drill hits the ground, and they basically start start drilling. <laughs> As I said, very simple drill earth. All good, right? And but what they have to do is because obviously, as the drill drills, it displaces mud and dirt and all this kind of stuff. And as you're getting further and further underground, where where does the mud and the dirt go? It, you, otherwise, it's just going to pile back up in in your tunnel, and it's not going to go anywhere, right? So they pump, uh, yeah. So they either pump seawater or what they call mud. Uh, but it's not mud it's like a weird kind of muddy liquid and they pump that in and what it does is it forces the the stones and the debris and everything out of where the the drill is drilling and and out onto the seafloor right all makes beautiful sense just got very confused because i couldn't find the cat and we were in a very small closed room but she's in the wardrobe so that's that's quieter than kicking around here so yeah, where were we? So once they had, so they start drilling, but obviously they're just drilling a big well, a big hole. And what they want to do is then put a pipe in it to keep the hole open, right? Because if they're going to suck a load of oil out of it, then they need to be able to to make sure that it's in a c- controlled uh, environment. And so what they do at that point is they pass down a hollow metal pipe. And that hollow metal pipe is called casing. And they pass it down into the into the hole that they've just drilled. So they drilled a hole. They pass this casing down, which is like a metal pipe that, that will then sit and hold hold the hole open. <laughs> and then what they do is they then pass down a load of cement. And so they pass this cement down into the hole to cement the pipe in place. And there's some cool like animations of it and I won't be able to explain it very well watch the animation because I yeah it only made sense when I actually like saw it uh, and didn't just read about it but basically they pump all of the cement down and they just keep pumping 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 so that then it goes out the bottom of the pipe and then rises up in the space between the pipe and the stone so then the pipe is held in place uh, and so once I've done that, they're like, cool, we've got this, um, we've got a pipe in place, we've drilled this hole, but we haven't reached the oil yet. So what they do at that point is they then pass through a smaller drill. <laughs> so they put they put a new drill head on it and they pass this smaller drill through the pipe uh, that they've just drilled uh, and then they keep keep going down. So then they drill again, then they pass more pipe down and they, they put the pipe in so they extend the the tunnel uh, and then they just keep doing that so just keep using smaller and smaller drills and smaller and smaller pipes so you eventually have this kind of telescopic pipe all the way down to where the oil is 
Uh, and then each time they'll cement it and yeah, continue as far down as they go until they hit the oil. Um, and the pipes themselves can be really thin. Like at some points, it could be 25 centimeters across. So, you know, in my head, you're thinking like, oh, we must collect oil through these like ginormous, like meters and meters wide pipes. But no, 25 centimeters across. Um, so less than that's less than a standard ruler uh, can be the pipe that it's it's down at the bottom. So whilst all that's going on, the rig that's sitting on the top of that is basically monitoring it all. It's got loads of sensors to understand like where it is, what the pressure is, how it's going. But obviously you are potentially 11 kilometers above what, what you're currently drilling. Uh, and so you have to do that through things like sensors and monitoring pressures and understanding uh, if you if you change certain parameters, what happens and how can we, we understand if the if the pipe is safe and it's in place. And so they did this drilling, they drilled all the way down uh, and uh, they basically, yeah, hit into into where the oil is. Uh, and what happens, like I said, is that you where the oil is under the ground is often in a in a sealed, like a giant sealed cave is how I thought of it. And basically once you pop that giant sealed cave, the oil is in an area of high pressure and the pipe is an area of low pressure, right? So like I said, everything wants to move from high pressure to low pressure. Uh, so if you think about like if you have a closed sealed bottle and you poke a hole into it, what happens to all the liquid, right? The liquid comes out of the hole because it's moving from an area of low, of high pressure into an area of low pressure and it will leak. And so what we don't want to happen is that. We don't want the oil to go, great, I can now release from my sealed cave uh, and then travel all the way up this pipe and explode right you want to be like no we want to keep this oil in this in this area nice and safe keep it under pressure keep it fine until we're ready to do production in which case great yeah we're going to pump all this oil out and it's going to move up up into the areas of low pressure and we're going to barrel it and everything's going to be okay what they do then is they try and seal it so at the end of drilling this hole and they've got this big pipe is what they do is they try and seal the pipe by basically pumping it full of cement ready to ready to kind of seal it. So yeah, so that's kind of how everything works. <laughs> how you drill a hole, you drill, you put pipes in, you put cement in uh, and you really try and make sure that you don't have an issue with pressures so it, so it explodes. I hope that made sense. I really recommend going and watching some of the videos that I put in the references. There's some like two, three minute five minute videos that really clearly explain this and then once you see it and you see like oh there's the hole and there's pipe and there's a cement you're like oh yeah this makes so much more sense so yeah so Deepwater Horizon was off doing this process uh, and it was mainly like I said an exploratory rig uh, so it was was going out looking looking for for these bits of oil once it hits and it finds oil wonderful they then plug that pipe uh, and make sure that then the pipe is kind of ready for, for a production rig to come along and, and, and take it out. And so what that, that was planned, they were, they were ready, they tapped, tapped the well, uh, they'd found the oil and they were good to try and seal it up. Continue to start this process of sealing the well. And it's important to give a little bit of background to some 
wider issues, I would say, that were happening on on Deepwater Horizon around this time. So first of all, there was a bit of an agreed kind of disregard for safety on the rig. Uh, they recently, one of the contractors did a survey on the the rig itself for the engineers and kind of said like, how are you feeling about safety? Yeah, many felt that they weren't really able to raise safety concerns very well. And they felt that if they did raise the safety concerns that might delay the drilling, then that would be looked down upon and they, you know, might be judged or, uh, yeah, might might have kind of action taking against them. So there was that going on. And there was also reports up until this point of sealing the well of, of lots of other issues. So there were some reports... Um, about pipes not being able to hold the kind of pressures that we're talking about here. Uh, There were some issues with the blowout protector where they thought it was leaking some fluid. Uh, And they had what's called kickbacks. And what kickbacks are is where the when you're drilling and you hit a pocket of gas, uh, the drill is kicked back because a lot of gas kind of explodes against it and, and pushes it back up. And that had happened quite a few times as part of the drilling. So they they had had issues with the equipment, but they also potentially had a bit of notification that the well that they were drilling was quite not straightforward, let's say, type well. So yeah, so the cementing done to seal the bottom of the well uh, as part of of, uh, sealing it off was done by a cementing subcontractor. That cementing subcontractor was a company called Halliburton. And they actually weren't totally convinced that the cementing would work. And they sent a memo to BP that basically said that the cementing was unlikely to be successful uh, because of the different things going on as part of this as part of this piping in this well uh, and, and the, the pressures that were coming up above from below. What they wanted to use uh, is what's called nitrogen cement. And that would allow the cement to flow more easily because it had these bubbles of nitrogen in it. But it meant that it had less sealing ability and it meant that it was a lot harder to control and predict the cement. So, yeah, so that wasn't great. Um, So they cemented the well with uh, the with this nitrogen cement and then they also seem to have this like random amount of like mud like I said this this thing that they piped down they had some that they they had left over and they basically didn't want to get rid of it because if if they if they wanted to get rid of it they had to basically like ship it to the mainland and then the mainland would have to deal with it as hazardous waste and so what they decided to do was they were like well we'll just pump it down the well and then that won't matter because you know it's fine it's there uh and instead of us having to go and manage it as hazardous waste uh we can just do that uh, and that was not a good thing to do uh mainly and in, because of things i don't really understand but just know they made a silly decision there and that they shouldn't have done it so yeah so they did all of this and basically what they needed to do at that point is once they'd done the cement is they basically needed to, to measure and show that there was a reading of zero in the pipe to show that it's been sealed, right? Because if it had been properly sealed, the pressure in the pipe would be zero because there'd be nothing in it. And actually, they never managed to measure a, a, a reading of zero. They they kind of like saw all these like weird pressure readings and basically they didn't really understand what it meant. And so somehow they managed to like convince themselves that even though it didn't say zero, maybe it secretly meant zero, even though it didn't. So it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't effective at that point. 
And so basically, they were like, cool, right, that makes sense. We've, we've cemented it. Uh, we have not measured it properly, but we're kind of comfortable that it's sealed. And so what they did was they then started kind of pumping all the rest of the liquid out of the pipe uh, all the way back up. So it had other, other bits of mud in it. It had water in it. And all of those fluids in the pipe was obviously putting pressure downwards. So if you think about, like I said, like a bottle, a sealed bottle, and you stick a hole, you stick a, a pin in it, and it starts leaking out, and then you go, "Cool, um, I'm gonna put my finger on it, like a like a cement seal." And but then think like, "Oh, you know, the bottle is ginormous, and my finger's not strong enough to like hold it back. I could then have like." you know, three other people put their hand on top of my hand and, and hold it in place. But when I when I then go, oh no guys, don't worry, I think I think the bottle's the bottle's fine and think I think I can hold it. They then take their hands off and what happens? The pressure blows goes up and up and up and, and the, the seal, in this case my finger holding on, it isn't strong enough, right? And that's basically what happened is that they had the cement, they then siphoned off everything else that was pushing down on the pipe uh, to hold the pressure in place uh, and then as soon as that that liquid and that pressure above them was removed well what do you think will happen uh, then uh, as soon as that seal and the pressure goes uh, the liquid's going to come out on the evening of the 20th of april following that removal suddenly there were two very large explosions uh, which shuddered the whole rig and what they were experiencing was a blowout which was a large amount of methane gas uncontrolled gas had basically shot up out of the well Uh, it had broken through the cement uh, and then passed all the way up to the rig itself not only that it had managed to get, get through the blowout preventer which we'll talk about in more detail later. Uh, and then what happened is as soon as that gas hits the, the rig, it meets loads of machinery, loads of ignition sources, uh, and then basically it exploded. So it continued to explode uh, and then set the whole rig on fire, uh, which which yeah, engulfed, engulfed the whole rig. And in the process of that, what happened then is in the process of that blowout, is they think that the first kind of release of gas, they think that one of the, the pipe that was passing through the blowout preventer was kinked, which is important for later. So at this point, uh, the the pipes exploded, uh, the gas has exploded out of it. It's caught an ignition source on the rig, has exploded the rig, and the rig is now on fire. And there were 126 people on board the rig, uh, and the majority, thankfully, evacuated very quickly. Uh, there was a, a supply ship that was quite near that was um, yeah, helping give supplies to those people on the rig itself. So uh, they were able to come to the rescue and, and scoop people up out of the lifeboats. Uh, but unfortunately, some people were stuck on board, didn't couldn't get to the lifeboats, were in a, in a difficult position. Some actually just had to like jump off the edge of the rig into the sea, which it sounds terrifying, um, and hope that they would be picked up by nearby lifeboats, which thankfully a lot of them were. But unfortunately, eleven workers died in the ex- mainly in the explosion, uh, so were died pretty killed pretty instantly as soon as that happened. Uh, but a lot more were injured, and a lot were sent to hospital. 
At this point, uh, a lot a lot of boats came out to the rig and a lot of them tried to put out the fire that was on board, uh, but it just burned and burned and burned because it just had a continual ignition source. Uh, and so that, yeah, wasn't successful. And the, the rig itself, the Deepwater Horizon, ended up sinking and it hit the ocean floor about 36 hours later. At this point, I want to talk about the blowout protector because the blowout protector kind of has two key functions. One it means that the rig won't explode. Good. But two, it means that if there is a blowout, there won't be a giant oil spill. And spoiler, there is. So we can we know that both of these things happened and therefore the blowout protector did not do its job. Uh, sorry, the blowout preventer. And they talk about the blowout preventer being BOP and everything you see. I just want to call it BOP. Definitely not called BOP. Uh, the BOP. And what the BOP is, is it's a very big piece of machinery, like I said, sits on the bottom of the sea, pipe runs through it, down into the oil well. And basically it has all these mechanisms in it to make sure that a blowout can never happen. And it's ginormous. It's five stories high, 400 tonnes, so it is huge, uh, because it needs to be in order to manage these these, um, amounts of pressures. And it has lots of fancy things in it. Uh, And what it has is it has things called annular preventers. And an annular preventer basically is like a valve. uh, And also a pipe ram, which is also a valve. And what they do is they close the, the annular space around the drill, which that's just a lot of words. Basically, they shut and they seal the pipe, right? So they, they kind of close around it, seal it, all, all is okay. The key thing here is that they keep the well intact so you can you can reverse those, right? So they've got these things, first line of defense, something's going wrong, shut the annular preventers, shut the pipe rams, hopefully that contains it, happy days. But if they don't work, then there is the, the kind of last ditch method, which is called the blind shear ram, um, or the blind shear ram, uh, which basically are ginormous blades and they cut the pipe, cut the the well, cut it all off uh, and then seal it. And they are the the last ditch attempt to to make sure nothing bad happens. But obviously that is a very uh, big manoeuvre that that's doing, right? Because it's, you know, they're going to lose all the money because they've just chopped the pipe off. But very important that they have it and very important that it works. And so when this started happening the explosion started happening and they could see the pressures and the and everything changing they did trigger to close some of the pipe rams the the seals and they did work temporarily thankfully but as you remember maybe what i said was as in some of the first kind of like kicks of explosion what they think happened is that the pipe that was running through the blowout preventer got kinked so the pipe was no longer straight it now was bent and so what happened is at this point they then you know they were like oh god it's going to explode we need to last last ditch attempt close the blind shear ram but what happened was it didn't work and whether they triggered it or whether it was automatically triggered because um that that would be triggered if like the blowout preventer detected like a loss of um, hydraulic pressure or electrical uh, signals coming to it it would just it would trigger and so that triggered and yeah it didn't it didn't work it basically couldn't couldn't cut and seal it in the way that they 
it was designed to do because it was designed to seal a straight pipe and the pipe was not straight. And there was many other issues that went on with the blower protector, which I won't go into, but there was like some of the batteries were dead, some like magnetic thing didn't work, like it had kind of redundant uh, computer operating and one of them didn't work. Anyway, loads of issues with the blower protector. But the key thing is, is that the thing, the last ditch effort to seal the well through the blind shear ram did not succeed. And that's probably because of that buckle. And the thing is, is that once this explosion happened and the rig happened obviously everyone's looking on the surface right so they're like oh god this sucks lost our you know billions of pounds uh, that's now just sunk but is anything leaking and it became very clear a couple of days after that the oil was now leaking continually out of this well and out of this blower protector um, and leaking into the sea and very soon after that oil could start to be viewed from above and the worst oil spill in history had begun. Oh, that was quite hard. I hope that made sense. <laughs> like I said, I actually, I think I put this on my Instagram. I found understanding all of that harder than Chernobyl. I found that harder than nuclear physics. I think I just don't like normal physics. All this like talk of pressures and big machinery. And I mean, I mean, this is always the way, right? But when you do these like technical things, people like to call things really complicated words, right? Like annular spaces and all of this stuff. In reality, when you see a picture, it's all quite simple, but um, it just it just takes a while to get your head around it. But yes, so let's go on to kind of next, because like I said, that was the, the explosion and the fire was just step one of this, right? So let's get into the many days of pain. So first of all, there was just never ending arguments at this point about how much was leaking out of the pipe, uh, what, you know, what the impact was at the beginning BP and BP was basically saying that, no, it's it's not that bad of a leak, only maybe like one to 5,000 barrels a day are leaking. Very clear that was wrong. <laughs> yes, uh, and, and much more was coming out of it. But BP immediately started to try and uh, sort this out. So they originally started to try and put a cap on the well, so basically putting like this ginormous, like, cap, ginormous shell... You know what I mean? Big thing that they're going to cover it with. I keep trying. I keep thinking of, of Chernobyl and the sarcophagus, but it's not. Um, and so they they tried to put this on, but because of the pressure of the oil that was coming out of the pipe, basically it just failed. It failed straight away, and they they couldn't they couldn't use it. They also attempted to like pump things into the well itself again to try and seal it again. That that failed. Um, and so yeah, they were just a bit a bit screwed at this point. And so what they did was they went back to the drawing board, tried to figure out exactly what they could do. And eventually they tried again, but with a different type of cap. Uh, and what this cap did was that 
it allowed BP to like siphon off some of the oil that was that was being leaked and coming out. And so what they could do at that point then is at least not as much was being released into the environment and into the ocean. They could basically like suck up a certain amount of it. And at this point, they were collecting as much as 25,000 barrels a day just from siphoning. So think about that. They must be much more than that leaking every day into the sea. They were just managing to, to collect a, a small amount of it. And in hindsight, we now estimate that over 60,000 barrels a day uh, were being lost into the sea uh, and it would equate to 4.9 bil- million barrels of oil in total. Whilst they were trying to do the caps, what they also tried to do was was drill relief wells. And the idea with a relief well is basically that they would drill another well nearby. Uh, and what that well would do is it would intersect with this well. So it would basically come in, uh, intersect uh, deep underground with the, the well that was leaking. And then they could basically pump in all of the mud and the concrete from this new well all the way down and seal it, but seal it deep, deep underwater where the pressures were more manageable. But that was very difficult to do, right? And would take a lot of time. It took a long time in general to dig a well. And not only did they have to now dig a well, but they had to dig a well and then find the intersect point with this potentially, you know, 25 centimetre pipe five kilometers under the sea right which was not which was not easy uh, so they started doing that at the same time in may thankfully eventually they managed to replace the the cap that they were able to siphon off with they finally managed to create an event a cap that would work and so basically they had this cap where they could put it over the top of it and then it had all these like different valves and stuff so that then it was on it was on top and then they could close the valves uh, and then that would would control it and would reseal it off and thankfully that finally temporarily sealed the well on the 15th of july so we're talking what so at least three months now that this has been fully leaking uh, and at this point we just have this temporary cap over the top that hopefully is holding the majority of it in And then it was only on the 16th of September when finally the relief wells intersected uh, and then they could fully pump in the mud and the cement. And it was on the 19th of September that it was declared that the well was fully dead and fully safe, which, yes, five months after. But the thing is, is that whilst all this was going on, the, you know, there's the talk of what they did to, to seal the well, but it's also what were they doing with the five million barrels of oil that were being leaked, right? And so they had to deal with that as it was as it was pumped out. And so what they tried to do, there's a few different methods that you have to foil foil that you have to follow when you're dealing with an oil sk- oil spill. So first they tried to do this with containment. So what happened is as the oil is leaked, it obviously makes its way to shore uh, and you can try and protect the shoreline. So you protect uh, the things that are on land and kind of constrain it to the sea uh, by using these things called containment booms. And they're basically these floating barriers that you put in in place along the whole shoreline, uh, which tries to collect the oil before it hits the shore. And hopefully tries to, uh, yeah, decrease the, the impact on the environment from from a land perspective. Um, and this was done all along the coastline uh, near where this had happened. The thing is, is that obviously as soon as the oil spill happened, 
all fishing was banned in the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, and that really decimated all of the, the fishing industry that was around, especially in places like Louisiana. And so BP paid local fishermen to go and deploy these booms and help with the cleanup activity instead. And the hope then as well was that the oil would, would collect near the booms and then you'd be able to collect it more easily. Alongside this, BP also used these things called dispersants. And this is basically a chemical that you pour on oil uh, to, to cause the oil to break down. So think about cleaning something oily at home, right? You, you usually kind of put water on it, right? It doesn't do anything. You've got to spray it with something and then that spray will break down the oil. And normally when you would use dispersants, you'd, you'd spray them on the, on the top of the ocean and you'd spray the surface of the oil spill, usually by a plane. But in this case, you know, obviously a, a spill of this scale had never happened. And so they decided to try an experimental tactic of spraying the dispersant into the oil under the sea. So they had these submersibles that would go under and start spraying the, the oil as it came out in the hope that it would break down. But what that tended to happen was that what was happening was that the oil was starting to break down and therefore it didn't reach the surface. So instead of a lot of oil spills where it all reaches the surface, there were these like underwater like giant plumes of oil which weren't rising up. They were just staying underneath in these giant, like I said, these giant plumes. And this was actually a really bad thing because even though the dispersants were breaking it down, when oil reaches the surface, the heat and the sun breaks down oil a lot quicker. But now you had these oil plumes deep, deep down under the ocean in cold and dark places where, they, where it couldn't be broken down in, in the same way. So this, this really didn't really work. And it meant that the oil took a lot longer to break down. And generally, the use of um, the use of the dispersants was really controversial, and it was felt like the dispersants were basically just as toxic as the as the oil itself. Uh, and the whole point of this and the dispersants and the oil itself and, and keeping it underneath is that it would really disrupt the food chain, the oceanic food chain, because it would be impacting things that we don't see, right? So things like krill, microplankton, uh, and those that that live very deep in the sea itself that we couldn't really measure. Uh, after B BP had been using them for quite some time, uh, the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, did eventually order them to stop uh, and they did have to stop uh, using them by 75%. So yeah, so there's containment, dispersant, and then finally it, it's collection of the oil. So when the oil hits the surface, it can be collected. Uh, so you can use a skimmer, collect it, and then remove it. Uh, but you can also uh, burn burn the, the oil itself by setting, setting the sea on fire uh, and trying to burn it off. And to be honest, you know, it, this was one of, well, probably the worst environmental disaster in the world. And so it, it took years to clean this up. So the official cleanup went on for years until 2014. So it was a very, very long time just to, to try and, and clean and, and sort this oil out. So yeah, so let's talk a little bit about the impact. And like I said, one of the worst things that, that's happened. So it had a huge impact on the environment. Like I said, it had a big impact on the marine life on the, on, and not just on that lower level, but also fish. Uh, it really impacted the fishing industry. And yeah, it, whether it, it either you know would kill fish straight away or it would kill them over time or what it would sometimes do is is poison them and and 
uh, impact their their offspring. So so you know cause mutations within them, which then would then be passed on to future generations. So huge impact on on marine life, uh, and that included things like dolphins. And dolphins were continued to be monitored in the area for a long time afterwards and and they didn't know afterwards that uh, things like birth defects and still still births in dolphins continued for many many years afterwards and then there was also a huge impact on birds so birds uh you know seabirds that that live out there uh were, were obviously just totally covered and then they were unable to to clean themselves uh, of the oil that was was on them and so some birds were managed to be cleaned but a lot of them would die uh, and then like i said uh pass that on uh, to later generations so yeah, a huge environmental impact, and that's not talking then talking about all the other you know other chain reactions that it had on on going into rivers and and moving up. It's just yeah a very uh, devastating devastating event. Not only that, it had a huge impact on those involved in the cleanup. Uh, so 143 people went to hospital as a result of spill exposure. Uh, often those ones who were trying to do the cleanup. Uh, and there was a lot of reports that the cleanup crews that, that BP were using weren't given enough uh, protective clothing. Um, and then there's also a lot of, of talk of, of ongoing health impacts for those that were involved in, in the cleanup, both physically and mentally. They also uh, was a huge loss to the to the area, to, to the economy, not just um, of fishing, but there was a, a loss of at least 180 million dollars to Louisiana alone in that first year because of the impact on tourism. Tourists obviously aren't coming aren't coming to that area. They also closed off uh, the entire entire area uh, in the ocean for a long time, um, and lost at least 250 million uh, in the fishing industry in the first year. And over time, it's estimated that the economic impact on the area were almost 23 billion dollars. So just yeah, humongous amounts of money. Uh, that that uh, the area lost, and that doesn't count the cost of uh, the cost in the environment, right? That doesn't include the cost of fish and birds and everything else. Following the incident, there was obviously a huge amount of investigations to understand what happened and why. I'm not going to go into all of those investigations because there were so many of them by lots of different people. So many, uh, you know, class action lawsuits filed, uh, filed against BP, against Transocean, against Halliburton, the cement contractor. Uh, and yeah, just, just huge amounts of litigation that went on, as you would expect. They did do a, nas- a national commission uh, to try and understand what happened. Uh, and the, the quote was, the panel found that BP, Halliburton and Transocean had attempted to work more cheaply and thus helped to trigger the explosion and ensuing leakage. So yeah, basically what all of these reports found was that it wasn't just the mistake that they made in terms of, uh, of you know, releasing the pressure uh, and, and pulling the, the liquid out of it. It was everything that led up to that, right? It was all of the, like I said, the, the culture of not, not focusing on safety and really focusing on, on speed and, and money and greed, right? That, that was what led to it. Following that, BP paid a $4 billion fine uh, and Transocean paid a $1.6 billion fine. Alongside that, BP also set up a local relief fund of $20 billion, uh, which would settle any claims from the area for impact, including on people's jobs and health. Uh, there were a handful of executives that were charged uh, and were, were given criminal charges for either obstruction of justice um, or negligence in terms of their in terms of the actions that they did, but these were all mid-level executives. There wasn't anyone from a from a high level that was prosecuted. 
Uh, no one at that high level was ever really impacted. Some of them did proceed and they were convicted, uh, but none of them ever resulted in prison. And yeah, so overall, uh, as a result of the incident, BP paid $65 billion uh, as a result of it uh, in terms of cleanup, fines and compensation as part of the incident. But as you can expect, they paid $65 billion for that. But then when you look at the amount of money that BP are bringing in, it's clearly not impacted them in the long term, right? Uh, and if we look at the windfalls that they're making at the moment, uh, then yeah, definitely not. And so, you know, have they paid the price? Have they paid for the price for the, the true impact that they had on the environment and the continuing impact that they have on, on marine life and, and, uh, and, and ocean life in, in the years that follow? I mean, I, I don't know. It's up, for you to, up to you to decide. But yeah, I think it's pretty shocking. But thankfully, we did learn some stuff which is good. You know, we've got to learn something, right, from this. Uh, there was lots of improvements on the on the bops, on the blowout preventers, uh, to make sure that they did they did their job. You know, we learned about the pipes buckling, uh, so a lot of things were improved in that area, thankfully. There was uh, tougher regulations and tougher safety requirements for those drilling, uh, which we're hoping will continue to be enforced and, and still used to this day. Uh, and unfortunately, it... It takes these things to actually get better at responding to explosions and get better at, expo- um, at responding to oil spills. So we, we learned a lot from, from responding to the oil spill and re- from responding to the fires. Uh, and so that should help us if, if such a thing were to ever happen again. Hopefully it wouldn't. Uh, but yes, we do have some, some hope to, to help uh, how, we would, how we would manage that in the future. But like I say... Is it is it worth? Do we do we even want to learn that? Probably not. Uh, but hopefully, yeah, we can respond better in the future if if we needed to. So yeah, so that's Deepwater Horizon. Like I said, it was quite a complicated one, but very interesting nonetheless. Um, I'm going to leave a load of links in the chat. Like I said, a lot of the good things I recommend are actually YouTube videos because I just think that seeing it is so much better than reading about it. There was a film and people did recommend that I watched it, but I just couldn't bring my- I really couldn't bring myself to watch it, uh, which I think is just called Deepwater Horizon. So yeah, watch it. You watch it. Tell me if it's good. If it is good. If enough people tell me to watch it, I'll go away and watch it. Um, it was, yes, 2016 with Mark Wahlberg. And to be fair, it got 7.1 on IMDb, so it can't be awful, right? But I just don't know. I just really couldn't, you know, when you're like, I just can't watch this in a dramatised fashion just really couldn't do it uh so yes so have a watch of that if you fancy it tell me what you think and then oh i'm just reading the um wikipedia about it it was considered to be one of the biggest box office bombs of all time that's not very good but it was nominated for two oscars anyway but then and then i also i read a book and the book was good from a perspective of it like actually really went into a lot of detail about the uh the explosion and what happened the problem i had was that until i went away and researched how oil wells worked i didn't understand any of it so it took me ages to like go away read about it and then i had to come back to the chapter to actually understand what they were saying which i found frustrating uh, and then the rest of the book is about the um the oil spill and the the response to that which again was fine 
but I didn't, I don't know, I didn't gel to it as much as, as some other books. It's called uh, the, A Sea in Flames, The Deepwater Horizon Oil Blowout by Carl Safina. So yeah, if you are really interested in it and you've done a lot of other, a lot of other reading, then I would recommend going away and then reading that book as like the follow-up to it so that you then actually you understand it um, and and yeah, see what happens. Cool. Well, thank you very much for listening. Uh, much appreciated. Please do let me know what you think. Uh, and like I said, uh, please don't judge my technical information. A lot of this is potentially wrong. Um, so yeah, do go and watch the videos and, and see see what it all means. Uh, so yeah, please do follow me on Instagram, like I said, at when it goes wrong pod. Uh, you can also email me when it goes wrong pod at gmail.com. Love getting your emails. They really encourage me to actually continue this podcast, which I occasionally think of stopping. And yeah, like I said, uh, recommend me to a friend. Uh, and yeah, see you next time.